All right, Acts chapter 11, that's on page 1165 is we're going to look at today in our, in our Bibles. If you're there, would you say amen? Well, 1165 in my old Schofield. I don't want you to think I did, so I told you wrong. But that's where I'm at. It's on page 1165. And if you don't have an old Schofield Bible, that's perfectly fine as well. But Acts 11 is where we're going to be. All right, let's pray, and we're going to get started, all right? Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house. Lord, thank you for the blood of your son. Lord, thank you that we can be saved. Lord, thank you that we can know our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, I just want to tell you thank you for how good you've been to us. Lord, I pray now you'd bless us now as we look at your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help me to preach the thought you've given to me clearly and help it to help your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, can I ask you a question this morning? What, what have you done to protect your identity? Now, when I say that, I'm sure that many of you are thinking about maybe your financial information or your personal information. As I was studying this week, uh, I found out some interesting facts about, about identity theft I thought were interesting. The, uh, the experts tell us that I, a case of identity theft occurs once every 22 seconds. That's incredible to me. They said that in the year 2021, which was the latest information I could find, that, that, that identity theft losses cost Americans $5.8 billion in the, in the year 2021. And they said that was a 70% increase over the year 2020. They, they, they said one of the greatest ways for people to get to hack to steal your personal information or even your financial information is through individuals' social media uh, apps they use on their phone or on their computers or tablets. That social media is is one of the greatest, but uh, uh, one of the greatest ways for people to get their information stolen. Which makes me feel like you know we probably should all kind of manage our addiction to social media. What do you think? <clears throat> Victims of identity theft worldwide collectively last in the year 2021 spent 4.4 billion hours working to resolve the issue of identity theft. But listen, it's not just something that only affects adults. I found this out, that one out of every 50 children are affected with identity theft. That somehow, some way, some individual will steal a child's identity and that right now your son or your daughter could actually have a car in their name, a home in their name. They could have major purchases and credit cards in their name right now. And they don't find out until they reach the age of 18 and find out that their credit has already been affected. I mean, identity theft runs rampant in our nation. But I'm not talking today about your personal, personal information. I'm, I'm not talking about your financial information when I ask you, what have you done to protect your identity? I'm talking about the identities you and I have been given in Christ. You see, just like in this world, there are those who would, like, who, would, who would seek to steal your identity and replace it with a counterfeit, in our spiritual lives, it's the exact same thing as well. You and I have an enemy, the devil, who seeks to rob us of our God-given identities and replace them with counterfeit identities as well. Now, did you know today that you and I have many identities in Christ? Now, while we have many identities, identities that have been given to us by Christ, you're listening to a preacher today who right now has many different identities. Now, hold on. Before you call the law and you put me in a straitjacket and throw me in a padded cell, let me explain myself to you. Uh, I, I'm a person who here today has many different identities. Think about this. I am a spouse. I'm a husband. 
I'm a father. I am a, I am a preacher of the gospel. I am a, <clears throat> I am a, a, an employee at my job. I am a son to my parents. I am a, I am a, <clears throat> a servant. I, I, and I have many different roles or identities that the, Lord, that the Lord has given to me. And because of that, there are things that I have to understand that God lays out in His Bible, in His Word, to help you and I understand how we should fulfill the, the role or the identities He has given to us. And to be sure that you and I are not living a counterfeit or an imposter identity. Now, what I want to talk about today is, is I want to focus on the most important of all of our identities. Because every one of those other identities I have just mentioned to you, my, my me being a husband, a father, a, a preacher, a, an employee, a, a friend, a son to my parents, all of those other identities fall underneath this one identity. And that is my identity as a Christian. My identity as a Christian. Lord willing, over the next several Sunday mornings, I'm going to be preaching a series of messages I've entitled Identity Theft. Because I know this to be a fact, that God has given you and I many roles and many responsibilities. And while God always has a, a plan and a role for those, those identities, Satan has a counterfeit identity that he would love to place into our life to rob you and I of the joy that comes with living a life devoted in Christ. And I want to talk to you today about the identity theft of the, of the, of the identity you and I have as Christians. And that's what leads me to this great chapter in our Bible. Because we read in verse 26, look down with me, here's what it says. And when they had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And here's my thought, it says this, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, when I was in Bible college, there was a principle we learned. It's called the first mention principle about, about Bible study. I'm going to give you a little Bible college education. We'll work this towards your credits to get your, get your degree. But here's what that first mention principle means. is that in our Bible, the first time you see something mentioned, a name or an action or whatever, that, that the great majority of the time you see that, 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 first, that name or word first mentioned, the meaning of that word the characteristics of that word will carry through from the, for the, from the first time you saw it mentioned all the way through to the end. Let me give you a for instance. In our Bible, when we first see the place mentioned of a, of a place called Egypt in our Bible, we first see Egypt mentioned with Abraham and with, I, with Abraham as he left the place God wanted him to be because of a problem of famine and he goes down to Egypt and lives in Egypt. Egypt in our Bible is always a picture of the world and its worldly philosophies and its worldly culture. And that first time we see it all the way through to the end, it carries that same meaning and that same weight. Egypt in our Bible is a type of the world. So, but, but let me bring you back to our, our regular scheduled sermon this morning. So here, for the first time in our Bible, we see the word Christian mentioned. Now, 
Because it's here mentioned, then what we understand about a Christian and what defines a Christian and what makes a Christian is right here in this text. Listen, what defines a Christian is not my opinion. What defines a Christian is not my philosophy. What defines a Christian is not my own interpretation of what, of what I believe things to be. God is the one who, 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 who created the Christian name. He's the one who gave it to us right here in His Word. And because He did, then He is the one who gets to define what it means to be a Christian. So let me just, if I can, as I jump into this thought of identity theft, let's look at these. Let's look at this text that surrounds this this verse, and let's look at some of the characteristics of what it means to really be a Christian. What it really means to be a Christian. Now listen, I know in this day and age that, that, that we use the word Christian very carelessly and very callously. But can I just say, to be a Christian means a great deal. And there's some great things in these verses I want to share with you if I can about what it really means to be a Christian. That when we say we are a Christian, what does that actually mean? Let me show you some stuff. First of all, when I look at these verses, the first word I would use to describe a true Christian is this. Determination. Determination. Look at back there at verse number 19. It says this. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phinis and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now, let me just give you some background here. We have to understand what's going on here. And when we get to Acts 11, the, the early church is now involved in a problem. They started off great over in the, in the, in the early parts of Acts. I mean, the, the, after the day of Pentecost and, the, and the, power come, the power of the Holy Spirit comes down to help the church, I mean, Peter walks out on the day of Pentecost and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach about Jesus and Him crucified and Him being the Savior. And the Bible says that some 3,000 men were saved right there on the day of Pentecost. And that, my friend, is the birth of the New Testament church. And from that point, things were going incredibly well. The Bible says that the church was added unto daily such as should be saved. There was a time over there about Acts chapter number 4, I believe it was, where Peter and John were walking up to the temple to worship and that they see a man who was, who, who was lame, right, just begging for alms on the, side of the, on the side of the road and the man looks up at Peter and says, hey, you have any money for me? And Peter says, listen, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but let me tell you what I do have. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And, he, and, and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter's able to heal that man of that sickness and he stands up and all of a sudden the crowd begins to stand around Peter and Peter, like a good Baptist preacher does, he just begins to preach about Jesus and him crucified and some things. And, and, and all of a sudden, on that day, some 5,000 people are saved. I mean, the church is going crazy and growing like no, like, like they, you could not believe. It's estimated that the height of the Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, had upwards of over 100,000 members in it at its height. I mean, incredible. What would we do with 100,000 people, Brother Brian? We might, we'd have to have like 14, 15 services a day. I mean, I mean, 100,000 people at that, small, at, at that church in Jerusalem. But a problem happened. Do you remember what it was? 
the church, when they got to have, when they got to, got to have a, a lot of membership, they decided it was time for some deacons in the church. And so they began to look out for some men. And one of the men they found, his name was Stephen. And Stephen, the Bible says, he was a good man, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. I mean, a good man. And he became a deacon in that church. Well, one day, some people got mad at Stephen. Some of the leaders there in Jerusalem, and they brought him before the leadership in Jerusalem, and they began to accuse Stephen. And Stephen looks back at him, and I like Stephen because he just called a bunch of stiff-necked and hard-hearted individuals and how they always resisted the, the, the Holy Spirit. And they, they didn't appreciate the message Stephen preached. And so they got mad at him and they began to bite him, gnaw on him with their teeth. And eventually they took up stones and began to throw them at Stephen. And they killed Stephen. He became the first martyr of the church. And from that point forward, the church is now thrown into a problem. They're now experiencing persecution in the church. Well, some of those people in Jerusalem who were under persecution, they begin to leave out from their homes. I mean, maybe in the cover of night or whatever the case may be. They begin to leave from their homes and travel to set up a new home somewhere else. And so they travel places like to Phinehas and Cyprus and Cyrene and then to Antioch. They had to leave. I mean, can I ask you a question? Man, we, listen, I don't know if any of us in here, I know we read about our other, other Christian brothers and Christian sisters, sisters in other parts of the world who, who experience real persecution. Listen, we know of, we know of an American, we, we, we know of people in the recent past who we've even made mention of to pray for in our church who lost their lives because they were, they were Christians in a hostile environment. Listen, it happens in other places, but you and I, thank the good Lord, as of right now in this great country, have never had to experience real persecution for our faith. I thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy and His blessing on our great nation, but we've never had to experience real persecution for our faith. But the early church did. I mean, in the dead of night, daddies would have to take their children and put them on, on carts and, and their wives and pack up all they had and leave out in the dead of night because they just knew that the next day their lives could be done. Hey, they, they, had to, they had to leave behind homes and leave behind jobs and leave behind families and leave it all behind to try to go start somewhere else in a new life. But can I tell you something? While that may have happened and while that hardship may have been hurting them, I'll tell you the great thing about these early Christians is they were still determined to, to, to preach about Jesus and determined to share the gospel. Can I tell you, that's one of the great characteristics of a true Christian is their determination to be forthwith and to be proclaiming the gospel. That's what it says, is it not? Right there at the end of verse number eight, right there in the verse at the end of verse number 19, it says, preaching none other but Jesus only. Hey, can I tell you something? While they were traveling, or while they were shedding tears, and while they were hurting from the memories of all the things they left behind, they were still faithful to stand up and say, hey, let me tell you about my Savior. Hey, let me tell you about the one who died for me. Let me tell you about this man Jesus. Hey, they were still faithful and determined to share the gospel. And that, my friend, is a great characteristic of a Christian. Can I ask you, how determined are you to share the gospel? Can I, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to bust on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty. Can I ask you a question, though? How many gospel tracts you handed out last week? Hey, can I ask you, how many, how many times have you looked at somebody and said, hey, can I tell you about my Savior? Can I tell you something that, I, that this church today, who lives in the luxury of the blood that was shed by the early church, we've lost our determination. 
We just assume everybody, if they want to hear the gospel, will just come to church and hear it. And we're not determined anymore. But one of the characteristics of the, of the early church is determination. How about this? When I read through this, one of the early characteristics, one of the characteristics of a Christian to me is also devotion. Devotion. Look what it says in verse number 23. <clears throat> who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Now that word cleave, it means to bind. It means to bond. It means to devote yourself. And Barnabas, when he came to see this church in Antioch, he just said, hey, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to exhort you, I'm going to implore you, I'm going to tell you the best thing you can do is to make sure you stay bonded to, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, there was a lot of things. Can you imagine? Hey, listen, they, they, I'm sure there was a lot of things that pulled, tried, to, tried to pull that church away from their master. There was a lot of distractions, a lot of things that were constantly pulling for the attention. And yet, they, they, didn't, just let the, they didn't let the distractions pull them away from the priority of their master. No, friend, they stayed devoted to their Savior. And can I just say, that to me, I'm, 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 that to me is a great characteristic, a characteristic of a true Christian as they remain devoted to their master, no matter what the case may be. Hey, listen, that, listen, we, we, you and I live in a day where there is distraction after distraction and there are things that are constantly trying to pull our attention and while some of them may be bad, bad, not all of them are bad, and yet they're constantly pulling you and I. Hey, go here, do this, enjoy this, have this. And all these things try to pull you and I away from our Savior. But yet, friend, you and I as Christians ought to do our best to remain devoted to Him no matter what the case may be. He is the priority. He is the one who matters. We live our life for Him. Hey, what I do, where I go, what I say, who I'm with, it's all built around my devotion for my Savior and Him and Him alone and Him and Him foremost. I want to be devoted to be a Christian. But then this, I see their determination. I see their devotion. But then I see their distinction. Their distinction. Because you and I see in verse 26, it says this, and they were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, the way that's worded, it says this, and they were called Christians. That tells me this. They didn't call themselves Christians first. Somebody else called them that first. You know, we get the idea sometimes that this Chris, that, that 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 if we're not careful, that I guess, I mean we kind of have the idea in our mind that they're at Antioch Baptist Church when they all got together and they said, you know, they they got, they got a committee together because we got to have committees, we got to do all this stuff, we got to have all this stuff. They got together and said, you know what, we need to have a name that somebody calls us. We we're saved. Hey, we know Jesus. We need to have a name to kind of dis distinguish ourselves from the, uh, the whole of the world around us. And so they got the, they, they had their committee together and they put a bunch of names in a hat and they drew one out and they got and they got the name Christian. So the committee called them Christians. That's not how it worked, friend. The way they lived, the way they carried themselves, the way they acted, they they the the, the outside world around them looked at them and said, you know, 
There's something different about that crowd. There's just something different about the way they act. You know, you know what they remind me of, Brother David? They remind me of a bunch of just little Christs running around. Hey, you know what they remind me of, Brother Shane? They, they act just like Jesus. And they used it as a way to try to insult them. And you and I carry it today like a badge of honor. Listen, I'm not a legalist by any stretch of the imagination, but I am just going to say this. There ought to be something distinctive about how you and I live our life that's different from the world around us. How we carry ourselves where we go, what we say, what we watch, what we listen to, what we wear. It ought to be distinctive. Listen, if I, if I spend my whole life wanting to look like the world and act like the world and be like the world, and, talk, and if my whole life is geared toward wanting to live just like the world, then how in the world am I any different than the world that put my Savior on a cross and drove, drove, drove nails into His hands and His feet and put them, put them on display for the whole world to see. Friend, there ought to be something different about the way I live my life. Hey, hey, listen, it ought not be because I'm pompous and I'm trying to show you how, how, how perfect I am and how imperfect you are. No, friend, it ought to be that at the end of the day that I want to be devoted to my Savior. I want to be de- determined to live for Him. And so I want to be distinguished in how I carry myself and say, listen, wherever I go, I don't want to bring shame to my Savior. Whatever I do, I don't want to bring shame to my Savior. What, what, what I say, what I listen to, whatever, I don't want to bring shame to the one who shed His blood and died for me. I don't want to live my life to please myself. I want to live my life to please Him. So what I say, I just want to please Him. What I do, I just want to please Him. Where I go, I just want to please Him. What I wear, I just want to please Him. And all these things, my life is about Him. It's not about me. And they were distinguished. They were distinguished. So the Christian, the Christian characteristics I see in that passage, determination, But just do you remember what I told you at the start of this message? The devil always has a counterfeit. And we live in a day where the counterfeits seem to be winning more than the, than the real true blue Christians. Can I give you some counterfeit Christians? What, 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 some, some, some ideas of what a counterfeit Christian may be that that the devil really wants to inject into our life. I want you to know, friend, the devil wants to do his best to give you and I a false security and a false hope and a false identity because he knows if he can give you and I a false identity, then you and I can never enjoy the, 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 the benefit and the fruit of what living a real Christian life brings. The joy, the hope, the peace, the long-suffering, the goodness, the faith. I mean, the, he wants to do his best to rob us of all that. So to do that, he, he, inserts, a, he, he, he inserts a false identity. He, he, he's, he robs us of our identity. Let me give you three things, and I'm going to move very fast. First of all, there's the, 
the identity theft, the false identity of a casual, casual Christian. The casual Christian. Now, what's the casual Christian? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the Christian who, who is not a bad... They don't, they don't run around and do a bunch of terrible things and live in sin and go and do all this wicked stuff. But they also don't really spend any kind of time investing and living for the Lord. They just kind of turn it off and turn it on when it's convenient for them. I mean, they're, you know, it's, 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 it's the Christian who, who, who says, yes, I'll, I'll live for the Lord. Hey, I'll try to do right. But I'll only really do it when I have the time to do it. Can I ask you? I mean, listen, I, I, again, I'm, I'm not here to beat up anybody. I love y'all. I, I mean that. But can I ask you a question? Hey, how, how, how devoted are you to the Savior? How, how, how determined are you to live for Him? How distinguished are you in how you carry yourself? Hey, you say, Brother Jonathan, I'm not a bad person. I'm not saying you are a bad person. But can I ask you a question? Is every day of your life that you get up, are you investing in being the kind of Christian that the Bible says you and I ought to be? Or do you just kind of just do it when it's convenient for you? Hey, can I ask you? Hey, can I ask you? Where are you going to be tonight? Can I tell you, I just mean this with all my heart. I, I, I know that as a Christian, you and I, we need the house of God. I need to be around like believers. The Bible says, and over there in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that as you and I see the day approaching, as we get closer to the, to, to, to the Lord coming, that you and I should not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but we should do it so much the more as we see the day approaching. Can I just say, listen, what, what, what that means to me is this, is that in my life, I don't need less church. I, what it does mean is this, is that in my life, I need more church. Hey, listen, there ought to be a determination. There ought to be a devotion that comes to the house of God. Why? Because the Lord Jesus died for the church. He loved it so much. He died for it. Why in the world would I not want to love Him enough to be in a place He died for? Oh, friend, I don't want to be casual in my Christianity. Hey, can I ask you? Hey, I don't want to be casual in how I carry myself. I don't want to be casual. But the devil has convinced a lot of good, a lot of good people that they can be casual in their Christianity. They can take it up when it's convenient and lay it down when it's inconvenient. They can, they can just do it. They can, do, they can just kind of give a half-hearted effort and it'll be okay. Friend, I don't want to be a casual Christian. But there is the counterfeit of the casual Christian. Can I just say, there's the counterfeit of the carnal Christian as well. The carnal Christian. Can I tell you what that is? That's the Christian who claims to know Jesus Christ and yet lives their life in complete and total wickedness. In fact, can I just be honest with you? A carnal Christian is an oxymoron. Because I don't understand how a person can know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and then live whatever way they want without there being any judgment for their wickedness. Now, I'm listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a preacher. I don't want to ever be a preacher of doubt. I want to be a preacher of assurance. But I also want to be the kind of preacher who tells you the truth as well. The Bible tells us this, that for whom he did foreknow, he, he, he did... Uh, the Bible tells you and I this, that whom the Lord loveth, whom the Lord loveth, he says this, he chasteneth. 
Now, what that means to me is this. Now, I think of it like, I, like I, I, I'm not a very smart guy, so i got to put it down here on the bottom shelf so I understand it. I think like a parent-child relationship. Okay? I love my children. I, most of the time, love my children. <clears throat> but listen, when they do wrong, I love them enough to step in and correct that wrong to chasten them. Why? Because I love them enough that I know a little bit of pain now can save a lifetime of heartache later. I love them enough that I know that if I don't that, 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 that if they don't get that corrected now, that it's just going to continue on and snowball and cause more and more and more problems down the road. So I love my children, but I love them enough to correct them. Well, if I'm a child of God, if he's my father and I'm his son, that if, that if I step out outside of his will and outside of his word and I begin to live in a wicked way and I begin to do what it, you know, to live, to live completely worldly and ungodly, well, if I'm his child, he's going to love me enough to step in there and correct that wrong in my life because he loves me enough to chasten me. Friend, I don't understand the Christian who claims to know Christ and yet can go live completely against the Word of God, completely against what they know to be right according to the Word of God, and God never step in and chasten them for their sin. It don't make sense to me. Can I tell you something? I'm always glad when I have done wrong. It, it, listen, it's not, it's not a pleasant thing. But one of the greatest assurances you and I can have as a child of God to know that we're saved is that when we do wrong, when we mess up, and hear me, I say when because we all do it, that the Lord convicts our heart and He chastens our spirit and He lets us make it right. But if I can go and do wrong and do wrong and do wrong and live carnally and worldly and it never affect me, hear me, friend, I'd check up. I mean, I look, I look deep within my soul and say, Lord, help me. Am I saved? And if I'm not, I'd get it right. There's the casual Christian. That's that first counterfeit. There's the counterfeit of the carnal Christian, the person who claims to know Jesus, but yet lives completely wickedly and worldly. And here's my last one, and we're done. There's the, the counterfeit of the confused Christian. The confused Christian. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's the individual who <clears throat> says they're saved, yet has no understanding of what that... Uh, says they're a Christian, but yet has no understanding of what that really means. Let me give you an example. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't want to... I want to be careful. We went on visitation not too long ago, and we talk, I was talking to an individual... And he said, and he said this. He said, he said, man, you would not believe this. I've got seven, eight years of Sunday school pens of perfect attendance. Anybody remember Sunday school pens? Oh. All right. They were, they were a thing. I never saw them, but there used to be this thing. They would, they would reward you for being in perfect attendance, perfect attendance in Sunday school. And they give you these pens. You can line them up. They student, man, it was fantastic. He said, I've got eight years of Sunday school pens where I was in church. I've been in church faithfully all the time. And I thought, man, that's great. And we got to talking a little bit more. And the question was asked, 
Well, do you know for sure if you die today, you know where you spend eternity? And this man who's been eight years we know of faithfully in church, he said this, well, I'm like 99.9% sure. And friend, can I tell you that is a confused Christian. Can I tell you that's the kind of person who's hoping in pins. That's a person who's hoping in membership. That's a person who's hoping in good deeds. That's a person who's hoping in anything other than Jesus Christ for their salvation. Can I tell you today, there are in lots of good churches all over, this, all over this nation. There are people who are sitting in pews, and here's what they say. Well, my granddaddy was a good man. He was a Christian. He was a preacher. My daddy was a preacher. I'm, I'm doing okay. I've got to be all right. And when it comes to their eternity, they're trusting in their heritage for their eternity. That's a confused so-called Christian. I know if you ask them, hey, are you saved? They'll say, yeah. I'm, I'm, are, you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know? Well, I mean, I grew up in church. Hey, I, I mean, I try, I try to do right. I know what the Bible says. I'm, I, I must be. But no, friend, they're just confused. Hey, they, you know, you say, hey, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I mean, I, 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 I pay my tithe. Well, that's great. But I don't make you a Christian. Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm a member down there at Bible Baptist Church. Hey, that's great. But I don't make you a Christian. I'll tell you the starting foundation and the only foundation to be a Christian is you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you've trusted Him and Him alone. Can I tell you, can I tell you something? At the end of the day, it's what we want for your life. If you're here today and you had to answer that question, I mean, if you had to stand before God today, and I, can I ask you, if today was the day you stood before God, would He let you into His heaven? And if you could say, well, I hope so, well, free, we can get it to a no-so. If you were to say, well, yeah, I think so because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a good person. Well, friend, be as good as you want. That ain't going to get you to heaven. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm a member of a church. Well, be a member if you want, but that won't get you to heaven. If you have any other answer other than, I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I ask Him to save me, and I know He did. If you've got any other answer, friend... You got the wrong answer. And I don't want you to be a confused Christian. I don't want you to say you're a Christian, but yet you're hoping it's all these other things other than Jesus Christ that gets you there. Can I ask you a, quick, can I ask you a question? We're going to wrap up. Has the devil given you a counterfeit bill to your Christianity? Are you thinking, you know, it's okay? The casual approach to Christianity is okay? The carnal approach is okay. The confused approach is okay. Has the devil slipped you a counterfeit bill in your Christianity? Friend, I'm going to tell you, if he has, I'd send it back. I'd get it right. And I'd take on a real Christianity. I'd be determined. I'd be devoted. I'd be distinguished. I'd be a Christian. His bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Musicians, musicians are going to come.
I know this was a little bit different of a Sunday morning message. But friend, I want you to know, listen, we, we, we in this day and age have, have taken this word Christian and we have used it so carelessly and callously that it means absolutely nothing anymore. Some athlete will run down a field today and he'll score a touchdown and he'll hit his knee and point toward, toward heaven and he will say, that man, I must be a Christian. And the next day he'll be on ESPN arrested for beating his wife. No, friend, he ain't a Christian. We ought to have some more standards to this name. It ought to mean something again. Hey, we ought to be sure that when our, when our day comes and they lay us down in a, in a, in a casket and people are walking by and weeping over our, 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 our shell of, of our body, that they say, you know, that person was a good Christian. And it ought to mean something. It ought to mean something. Hey, we ought to be determined. We ought to be devoted. We ought to be distinguished. We ought to be Christians. We're all going to stand across the building.